Chapter 2. Consider Your Ways God is my record, how greatly I long after you all. Philippians 1, 8. Friends, I wish to write a few words to you about your souls. I want those souls to be saved, and I invite you all to take the advice I give you today to consider your ways. Haggai 1, 7. I write to you because the time is short. The day of grace is slipping away, the day of judgment is drawing near. The thread of life is winding up. A few more short years, and every soul of us will have gone to his own place, each one of us will be in heaven or hell. I know that I cannot reach your hearts. It's not me, it needs the finger of God. But I can set before you my sincere wishes for every class among you, and I will do it, the Lord being my helper. Bear with me if I say things that sound sharp and hard. Mark it down to my anxiety for your salvation. I mean it all for your good. I write nothing other than what I have gathered from the Bible, and as such I commend them to your consciences. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Many of you need to be awakened. First, let me say, there are many among you whom I long to see awakened. You are those who have the name of Christians, but not the character that should go with the name. God is not king of your hearts. You give your attention to earthly things. I want you to consider your ways. I grant you may be quick and clever about the affairs of this life. You are, many of you, good men of business, good at your daily work, good masters, good servants, good neighbors, and good citizens. All this I fully admit. But it is the eternal part of you that I speak of, your never-dying soul. Judging by how little you do for it, you are careless, thoughtless, reckless, and unconcerned about your soul. I do not say that God and salvation are subjects that never cross your mind, but I do say that they don't have the uppermost place there. Neither do I say that you are all alike in your lives. Some of you undoubtedly go further in sin than others. But this I say, you all have turned every one to his own way, and that way is not God's way. Isaiah 53, 6. Friends, when I look at the Bible, I can come to only one conclusion about you. Concerning your souls, you are asleep. You do not see the sinfulness of sin and your own lost condition by nature. You appear to make light of breaking God's commandments, and to care little whether you live according to His law or not. Yet God says that sin is the transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4, that His commandment is exceeding broad, Psalm 119, 96, that Every imagination of your natural heart is evil, Genesis 6, 5, and that sin is the thing he cannot bear, he hates it, Habakkuk 1, 13. He says that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23, and the soul that sinneth, it shall die, Ezekiel 18, 20. Surely you are asleep. You do not see your need of a Savior. You appear to think that it is an easy matter to get to heaven, and that God will, of course, be merciful to you at last, some way or other, though you don't exactly know how. Yet God says that He is just, Isaiah 45, 21, and holy, Leviticus 19, 2, and never changes, Malachi 3, 6, that Christ is the only way, and none can come to the Father but by Him. John 14, 6, that without his blood there can be no forgiveness of sin. Hebrews 9, 22, that a man without Christ is a man without hope. Ephesians 2, 12, that those who want to be saved must believe on Jesus and come to him. Acts 16, 31, and that he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 16. You are asleep. You do not see the necessity of holiness. You appear to think it is enough to go on as others do and live like your neighbors. And as for praying and Bible reading, making a matter of conscience your words and actions, 
studying truthfulness, gentleness, humility, and charity, and keeping separate from the world, these are things you do not seem to value at all. Yet God says that without holiness no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews 12:14. That nothing that defiles will enter into heaven. Revelation 21:27. And that his people must be a peculiar people zealous of good works. Titus 2:14. You certainly are asleep. And worst of all, you do not appear to feel your danger. You walk on with your eyes shut and don't seem to know that the end of your path is hell. Some dreamers imagine they are rich when they are poor, or are full when they are hungry, or are well when they are sick, and they awake to find it all a mistake. This is the way that many of you dream about your souls. You flatter yourselves that you will have peace, but there will be no peace. You imagine that you are all right, but in truth you will find that you are all wrong. Surely you are asleep. Dear friends, what can I say to rouse you? Your souls are in awful danger. Without a mighty change, they will be lost. When will that change be? You are dying and not ready to depart. You are going to be judged and not prepared to meet God. Your sins are not forgiven, your persons are not justified, and your hearts are not renewed. Heaven itself would be no happiness to you if you got there, for the Lord of heaven is not your friend. What pleases him does not please you. What he dislikes gives you no pain. His word is not your counselor. His day is not your delight. His law is not your guide. You care little to hear of him. You know nothing of speaking with him. To be forever in his company would be a thing you could not endure, and the society of saints and angels would be a weariness, not a joy. As far as you are concerned, the Bible might never have been written, Christ might never have died, the apostles were foolish, the New Testament Christians were madmen, and the salvation of the gospel is a needless thing. Awake and sleep no more. Do not think to say, I cannot believe my situation is so bad, or the danger so great, or God so particular. I answer that the devil has been putting this lying delusion into people's hearts for thousands of years. It has been his grand snare ever since the day he said to Eve, Ye shall not surely die. Genesis 3 4. Don't be so weak as to be taken in by it. God has never failed yet to punish sin, and he never will. He has never failed to make good his word, and you will find this out at your expense one day, unless you repent. Do not think to say, I am a member of Christ's church. Therefore, I do not doubt I am as good a Christian as others. I answer that this will only make your case worse if you have nothing else to plead. You may be written down and registered among God's people, you may be counted in the number of the saints, and you may sit for years under the sound of the gospel. You may use holy practices and even come to the Lord's table at regular seasons, but still, even with all this, unless sin is hateful, and Christ precious, and your heart a temple of the Holy Spirit, you will prove in the end no better than a lost soul. A holy calling will never save an unholy person. Do not think to say, I have been baptized, so I feel confident I am born of God and have His grace within me. I answer that you have none of the marks that John in his first letter told me distinguish such a person. I do not see you confessing that Jesus is the Christ, 1 John 4.15, overcoming the world, 1 John 5.4, not committing sin, 1 John 5.18, loving your brother, 1 John 4.21, doing righteousness, 1 John 3.7, and keeping yourself from the wicked one, 1 John 5.18. How then can I believe that you are born of God? If God were your Father, you would love Christ. If you were God's Son, you would be led by His Spirit. I want stronger evidence. Show me some repentance and faith. Show me a life hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3 3. Show me a spiritual and sanctified conversation. These are the fruits I want to see, 
if I am to believe you have the root of the matter in you, and are a living branch of the true vine. But without these, your baptism will only add to your condemnation. Beloved, I speak strongly because I feel deeply. Time is too short, and life is too uncertain to permit standing on ceremony. At the risk of offending, I speak very plainly. I cannot bear the thought of hearing any of you condemned in the great day of judgment, of seeing any of your faces in the crowd on God's left hand among those who are helpless, hopeless, and beyond the reach of mercy. I cannot bear such thoughts. They grieve me to the heart. Before the day of grace is past and the day of vengeance begins, I call on you to open your eyes and repent. Consider your ways and be wise. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die? Ezekiel 33:11. As the ambassador of Christ, I ask you today to be reconciled to God. The Lord Jesus, who came into the world to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15, who is the appointed mediator between God and men, 1 Timothy 2.5, who loved us and gave himself for us, Ephesians 5.2, sends you all a message of peace. He says, Come unto me, Matthew 11.28. Come is a precious word and ought to draw you. You have sinned against heaven. Heaven has not sinned against you. Yet see how the first step toward peace is on heaven's side. It is the Lord's message, Come unto me. Come is a word of merciful invitation. It seems to say, Sinner, I am waiting for you. I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3 9. As I live, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth. Ezekiel 18.32. I would have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4. Judgment is my strange work. Isaiah 28.21. I delight in mercy. Micah 7.18. I offer the water of life to everyone who will take it. Revelation 21.6. I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Revelation 3.20. For a long time I have spread out my hands to you. I wait to be gracious. There is still room in my Father's house. My long-suffering waits for more of the children of men to come to the mercy seat before the last trumpet is blown, for more wanderers to return before the door is closed forever. 2 Peter 3.9. O sinner, come to me! Come is a word of promise and encouragement. It seems to say, Sinner, I have gifts ready for you. I have something of everlasting importance to give to your soul. I have received gifts for people, Psalm 68, 18, even for rebellious ones. I have a free pardon for the most ungodly, Isaiah 55, 7, a full fountain for the most unclean, Zechariah 13, 1, a white garment for the most defiled, Revelation 3, 5, a new heart for the most hardened, Ezekiel 36, 26, healing for the brokenhearted, Psalm 147, 3, rest for the heavy laden, Matthew 11, 28, and joy for those that mourn, Isaiah 61, 3. O sinner, it is not for nothing that I invite you. All things are ready. Come to me. Beloved friends, hear the voice of the Son of God. Do not refuse Him who speaks. Come away from sin, which can never give you real pleasure, and will be bitter at the end. Come out from a world that will never satisfy you. Come to Christ. Come with all your sins, however many and however great, however far you may have gone from God, however provoking your conduct may have been. Come as you are, no matter how unfit, unsuitable, and unprepared you think you are. You will not gain anything by delaying. Come at once. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. How will you escape if you neglect so great salvation? Hebrews 2, 3. Where will you appear if you make light of the blood of Christ and show contempt for the Spirit of grace? Hebrews 10, 29. 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10:31. But never so fearful as when men fall from under the gospel. The saddest road to hell is that which runs under the pulpit, past the Bible, and through the midst of warnings and invitations. Oh, beware, unless you, like Israel at Kadesh, Numbers 14, mourn over your mistake when it is too late. Or, like Judas Iscariot, Matthew 27, 3-5, you find out your sin when there is no space for repentance. Arise, beloved, and call on the Lord. Don't be like Esau. Don't sell eternal blessings for the things of today. Surely you have had enough time in the past to have been careless and prayerless, godless and Christless, worldly and earthly-minded. Give time now and in the future for your soul. I beg you to pray that you may be enabled to put off the old ways and the old habits, and that you may become new men and women. No one wishes you more happiness, and my best wish is that you may be made new creatures in Christ Jesus. This is a better thing than riches or health or honor or learning. You may get to heaven without these, but you cannot get there without conversion. Truly, if you die without having been born again, you would be far better off never having been born at all. Many of you need to be committed followers of Christ. The second thing I have to say is this there are many among you whom I long to see become committed followers of Christ. You are those who are wavering and hesitating between two opinions. You seem to have not made up your minds. You appear to stand in doubt as to which is the true way of serving God and which is the false way. One day a man might think you loved Christ, but another day he might suppose you did not care for him at all. You are like the twilight. I cannot call you darkness, but you are not light in the Lord. There is so much right about you that I can't speak to you among the openly ungodly. Yet there is so much wrong about you that, without a change, you will never be saved. I want you also to consider your ways. Wavering brothers and sisters, of all the groupings in the church, you are the most difficult to address, and no state is as dangerous as yours. You see something of the evil of sin and its awful consequences, but not all. You have thoughts about judgment and hell, and you would like to avoid them, but you never really try. You see something of the blessedness of heaven, but not all. Its peace and rest and joy and happiness are things that cross your mind, but you never really try to obtain them. There have been times when you have appeared convinced. There seemed to be a melting and a softening going on in your heart. You have been at Sinai and been alarmed. Exodus 19. You have been at Bochim and wept. Judges 2. You have been at Calvary and had your conscience pricked. Yet those times have passed away and your old things still remain. You have often looked like men going on pilgrimage. You seemed ready to come out from the world, but then you suddenly stopped and went no further. You have done many things that are good, but unfortunately, like Herod, you leave many undone. You give up many habits that are bad, yet you keep enough to make it plain that you have no true grace in your hearts. O oh, wavering friends, what can be done for your souls? I am distressed for you. Many of you are so much like true Christians that the difference can hardly be seen. You do not oppose true Christianity. You have no objection to the preaching of the gospel and often take pains to hear it. You can enjoy the company of believers and appear to take pleasure in their conversation and experience. You can even talk of the things of God as if you valued them. All this you can do. Yet there is nothing real about your religion, no real witnessing against sin, no real separation from the world, no peculiarity, no warfare. You can wear Christ's uniform in the time of peace, but, like the tribe of Reuben, you are absent in the day of battle. Judges 5 16. Times of trouble prove that you were never really on the rock. Times of sickness and danger bring out the rottenness of your foundations. Times of temptation and persecution disclose the emptiness of your professions. There can be no dependence placed on you. 
You are Christian in the company of Christians, and worldly in the company of the worldly. One week I will find you reading spiritual books as if your thoughts were all on eternity, but another week I will hear of your mixing in some earthly folly as if you only thought of time. And so you go on, beating about in sight of land, but never seeming to make up your mind to come into the harbor, showing plainly that you have an idea of the way of life, but not are decided enough to act on your knowledge. Oh, wavering friends, what can be done for you? I tell you seriously, I tremble for your souls. In your present course you will never taste peace. You will go on without comfort and go off without hope. Truly you are a wonder in creation. You stand alone. The devil wonders at you, how you can see so much of the way to heaven but not walk in it. The angels wonder at you, how you can know so much of the gospel yet stand still. Ministers wonder at you, how you can march up to the borders of the promised land but not strive to enter in. Believers wonder at you, how you can taste so much of the good word of God yet not determine to eat and live forever. Be careful, lest at the end you prove a wonder to yourselves. Wavering friends, let me ask you a simple question. How long do you intend to continue as you are? When do you intend to stop being almost Christians and become decided Christians? When do you mean to leave Agrippa and join Paul? Acts 26. You know in your heart and conscience you are not yet saved. You have no oil in your lamps. Matthew 25. You do not have the marks of Christ's people. You are not true saints. You dare not deny what I say. When do you propose to change? What is the thing that you are waiting for? Do not turn away from my question. Sit down and answer it if you can. Are you waiting until you are sick and unwell? Certainly you won't tell me that will be a convenient season. When your body is racked with pain, when your mind is distracted with all kinds of anxious thoughts, when calm reflection is almost impossible, is this a time for beginning the mighty work of acquaintance with God? Do not talk that way. Are you waiting until you are old? You certainly could not have considered what you say. You will serve Christ when your members are worn out and decayed and your hands unfit to work. You will go to Him when your mind is weak and your memory failing. You will give up the world when you cannot keep it. You will set your affections on things above when you find nothing to set them on in things below. Is this your plan? Be careful that you don't insult God. Are you waiting until you have more leisure time? When do you expect to have more time than you have now? Every year you live seems shorter than the last. You find more to think of or do and less power and opportunity to do it. And after all, you don't know if you may live to see another year. Don't boast of tomorrow. Now is the time. Are you waiting until your heart is perfectly fit and ready? That will never be. It will always be corrupt and sinful, a bubbling fountain full of evil. You will never make it like a pure white sheet of paper that you can take to Jesus and say, Here I am, Lord, ready to have your law written on my heart. Do not delay. It's better to begin as you are. Are you waiting until the devil will let you come to Christ without trouble? That will never be. Satan never gives up a single soul without a struggle. If you want to be saved, you must fight for it. Don't stand still another day. Get up and go forward at once. Are you waiting until there is no cross to be carried? That will never be. As long as sin is our enemy and our own bodies are weak and hindered by it, we must endure hardness if we want to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Go in the strength of the Lord God, and you will overcome. If there is no cross, there will be no crown. Are you waiting until all those around you become decided? That will never be. Heaven is the only place where all are saints. Earth is the place where sin reigns and God's people are a little flock. You must be content to journey alone and swim against the stream. Narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Matthew 7, 14. Don't wait for friends and neighbors. 
see that you are among the few. Are you waiting until the gate is wide? That will never be. It will not change. It's not elastic. It will not stretch. It's wide enough for the chief of sinners if he comes in a humble and self-abased spirit, but if there's anything you are resolved not to give up, you will never, even with all your struggling, get in. Lay aside every weight and enter before the door is shut forever. Hebrews 12, 1. Are you waiting because a few Christians are inconsistent and some who profess faith fall away? Their folly is no excuse for you. Their sin will not justify your delay. Hear the word of the Lord Jesus. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. John 21, 22. O wavering friends, your excuses are broken reeds and webs that will not cover you. They are wood, hay, and stubble that will not withstand the fire. 1 Corinthians 3, 12. Your reasonings and defenses are unprofitable and vain, are they not? Be honest, confess the truth. Don't turn away from good advice. I fear that the time will come when you will seek to enter in but not be able. I charge you today to throw away indecision, wait no longer, and decide for Christ. No man is wise until he is decided. What can be more foolish than to live on in uncertainty? What can be more childish than to appear not to know what is truth, to have two ways set before us and not be able to decide which is right? Christ is on one side and the world is on the other. The Bible is on the right hand and man's opinion on the left. Is it not an astonishing and horrible thing that you can think on these things and yet, even for a moment, doubt? Whether you believe the gospel to be true or false, your present position is manifestly wrong. If it's true, you don't go far enough. If it's false, you go too far. Oh, be decided. Consider your ways and be wise. No one is safe until he is decided. All are in danger of ruin who are not real followers of Christ, who are not converted and made children of God. Wavering friends, you imagine there is a middle path between conversion and unconversion. You are mistaken. There seems to be, the devil tells you there is, but in reality there is no such thing. There are only two kingdoms, Christ's kingdom and Satan's. There is no neutral ground in between. There are two parties, believers and unbelievers. There is no third party. Consider to which one you belong. Some people, I know, will say you are in a hopeful state. While you stand still, I would not dare to say so. It would be flattery, not charity. Instead, I tell you that the state you are in is extremely dangerous. You have enough religion to satisfy you in a way. You are not like others, careless, licentious, and the like, but you don't have enough religion to do you good. You don't have the Spirit of Christ and are not His. It is small comfort to my mind to hear that you are not far from the kingdom of God if you stop there. You need another step to make you safe, and without that, all the rest is useless. Without a doubt, many were close to the door of the ark when the flood came, but all who were not inside were drowned. I believe many came up to the gates of the cities of refuge, but only those who actually entered the gates escaped the destroyer. Be decided. This is the only way to be safe. No one is fully happy in his religion until he is decided. There is little peace as long as you are wavering and irresolute. You please no one completely. Jesus has no consolations for you. He will have all your heart or none of it. The world is not satisfied with you. They cannot understand your behavior. True Christians dare not comfort you. They can only look on you with suspicion and mistrust. You are like the Samaritans of old who served the Lord and their idols at the same time. They formed a middle class between the Jews and Gentiles, yet were friends with neither. They were too Gentile for the Jews and too Jewish for the Gentiles. This is how you are. You are trying to do that which cannot be done. You are trying to serve two masters. No wonder you are ill at ease. 
wavering friends, for the sake of your own peace, I invite you to choose the better part. Gird up the loins of your mind, 1 Peter 1.13, quit you like men, be strong, 1 Corinthians 16.13. God's conduct in punishing sin has always been decided. Satan's conduct in tempting sinners has always been decided. Why then are you not decided too? Cry mightily unto God, that you may be enabled to leave behind your wavering ways. Jonah 3 8. Resolve that by His grace you will be true soldiers, real servants, people of God indeed. Resolve that you will never rest until you know in whom you believe. Stop wavering between two opinions. Let your eyes look right on. Cast off your hold on the world. Lay hold on Christ and commit yourselves to Him. No one ever came back from a narrow way and reported that he was sorry for his choice. Thousands have lingered away life as you're doing now and have found too late that the fruit of indecision is eternal sorrow. Some Christians need to live brighter and holier. The last thing I have to say is this. There are some Christians among you whom I long to see live brighter and holier. You have discovered your own sinfulness and lost condition, and truly believe on Jesus for the saving of your souls. The eyes of your understanding have been opened by the Spirit. Ephesians 1 18. He has led you to Christ, and you are new creatures. You have peace with God. Romans 5 1. Sin is no longer pleasant to you, and the world no longer has first place in your heart. All things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. You have stopped trusting in your own works. You are willing to stand before the bar of God and rest your soul on the finished work of He who died for the ungodly. All your confidence lies in that you have washed your robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I heartily thank God for what He has worked in your souls, but I ask you as well to consider your ways. Believing, brothers and sisters, I write to you about your sanctification. There are those who think you are a class in our congregations that requires little writing to, that you are within the bounds of salvation and may be almost left alone. I do not agree. I believe you need your minister's care and exhortation as much as any, if not more. I believe that not only your own comfort, but also the salvation of many souls under God depends on your growth in grace and holiness. I believe that the converted members of a church should be preached to, spoken to, warned, and counseled far more than they are. You need many words of direction. You are still in the wilderness. You have not crossed the Jordan. You are not yet home. I see Paul pleading with the Thessalonians that as they have received from them how they ought to walk and please God, so they would abound more and more. 1 Thessalonians 4 1. I see him warning them not to sleep as others do, but instead to watch and be sober. 1 Thessalonians 5 6. I see Peter telling believers to give diligence to make their calling and election sure to go on adding one grace to another, and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 10, 3, 18. I wish to follow in their steps. I remind you that this is the will of God, even your sanctification, and I ask you to make it plain that it is your will, too. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. You were not chosen out of the world to go to sleep. You were chosen so that you might be holy. John 15:19. You were called of God that you might walk worthy of your calling. Ephesians 4:1. Recall those solemn words, He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. 2 Peter 1:9. Why do I say these things? Is it because I think you don't know them? No, but I want to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. 2 Peter 1 13. 
Is it because I wish to discourage the poor in spirit and make the heart of the righteous sad? Of course not. I would not willingly do this. Is it because I think true Christians can ever fall away? God forbid you should suppose I mean such a thing. But I say what I say because I am jealous for my Lord's honor. I wish the elect of God to truly be a holy nation and the sons of adoption to live as is fitting the children of a king. I want those who are light in the Lord to walk as children of light, shining more and more every day. And I say it for the good of the world. You are almost the only Christian book that worldly people read. Surely your lives should be letters of Christ, written so plainly that even he who runs may read them. 2 Corinthians 3, 2. The world cares little about doctrine and knows nothing of experience, but the world can understand a close walk with God. And not least, I say it, because of the times you live in. I write it down deliberately. I believe there never were so many lukewarm saints as there are now. There never was a time in which such a low and carnal standard of Christian behavior prevailed. There never were so many babes in grace in the family of God as at the present time, so many who seem to sit still and live on old experience, so many who appear to have need of nothing and to be neither hungering nor thirsting after righteousness. I write this with all sorrow. It may be too painful for some, but I ask you, in God's sight, is it not true? In this age there is a generation of Christians who grieve me to the heart. They make my blood run cold. I cannot understand them. As far as we can see, they make no progress. They never seem to move on. Years roll by and they are just the same. They have the same besetting sins, the same character weaknesses, the same weakness in trials, the same chilliness of heart, the same apathy, the same faint resemblance to Christ, but no new knowledge, no increased interest in the kingdom, no freshness, no new strength, and no new fruits. They are forgetting that growth is the proof of life, that even the yew tree grows, and the snail and the sloth move. They are forgetting how awfully far a man may go and yet not be a true Christian. He may be like a wax figure, the very image of a believer, yet not have within him the breath of God. He may have a name to live, but be dead after all. Believing friends, these are the reasons why I write so strongly. I want your Christianity to be unmistakable. I want you all to truly grow and do more than others. Let us all from now on remember Sardis and Laodicea. Let us resolve to be more holy and bright. Revelation 3. Let us bury our idols. Genesis 35, 4. Let us put away all strange gods. Joshua 24, 23. Let us throw out the old leaven. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Let us lay aside every weight and besetting sin. Hebrews 12, 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Let us renew our covenant with our beloved Lord. Let us aim at the highest and best things. Let us resolve, by God's blessing, to be more holy, and then I know and am persuaded that we will be more useful and happy. Here now are some things to prayerfully consider. Let us begin with a humble confession of past ineffectiveness and shortcomings. Let us acknowledge with shame and remorse that, so far, we have not lived up to our light. We should have been the salt of the earth, but there has been little savor of Christ about us. We ought to have been the light of the world, but most of us have been little glimmering sparks that could scarcely be seen. We ought to have been a peculiar people, but the difference between us and the world has been faint and small. We ought to have been like the Levites in Israel, a distinct people among professing Christians, but we have too often behaved as if we belonged to some other tribe. We should have looked at this world as an inn, but we have settled down in it as if it were our home. The world ought to have been counted our school of training for eternity, but we have been at ease in it as if it were our continuing city. Hebrews 13, 14, 
or we have wasted away time in it as if we were meant to play and not to learn. We should have been careful for nothing, but we have been anxious and troubled about many things. Philippians 4 6. We have allowed the affairs of this life to eat out the heart of our spirituality, and have been cumbered about much serving. Luke 10 40. How rarely we have listened to the gospel with enthusiasm, read the Bible as if we were feeding on it, and prayed as if we wanted an answer. How poor and feeble our witness has been against sin! How seldom have we looked like people doing our Father's business! How little have we known about singleness of eye, Matthew 6.22, wholeness of heart, and walking in the Spirit! How weak has been our faith! How feeble our hope! How cold our charity! How few of us have lived as if we believed all that is written in the Word, and moved through life like pilgrims traveling to a better land. Believers, we have good reason to be ashamed when we think about these things. They are very grievous, and we ought to feel it. Let us begin with humility. Let us cry, God be merciful to us sinners, take away our iniquity, for we have done very foolishly. 2 Samuel 24, 10. Next, let us all seek to abide in Christ more thoroughly than we have in the past. Christ is the true spring of life in every believer's soul, the head on which every member depends, the cornerstone of all real sanctification. Whenever I see a child of God becoming less holy than he was, I know why. He is clinging less firmly to Christ than he once did. Our root must be right if our fruit is to abound. Let us strive for close union and communion with Christ. Let us go to Him more often, speak with Him more frequently, trust Him more wholly, look to Him more constantly, and lean on Him entirely. This is how to go through the wilderness without fainting, and to run the race set before us with patience. Let us live the life of faith in the Son of God. Galatians 2.20. He is the vine and we are the branches. Let all our strength be drawn from Him. Apart from Him we can do nothing. John 15, 5. He is the Son of righteousness. Let us seek our comfort in Him, and not in our own thoughts and feelings. Malachi 4, 2. He is the bread of life. Let us feed on Him day by day as Israel did on the manna, and not on our own experiences. Let Christ become more and more all things to us, His blood our peace, His intercession our comfort, His word our warrant, His grace our strength, His sympathy our support, and His speedy coming our hope. Let others spend their time on new books if they want, but let us study to learn Christ. We know a little of Christ as our Savior, but what a small part we have seen of the fullness that is in Him. Like the Mayans when America was first discovered, we are not aware of the amazing value of the gold and treasure in our hands. Believe me, if we did realize the blessedness of free and full forgiveness in Him, we would be a different kind of people. Those who feel the blood of atonement sprinkled on their consciences, who enjoy assurance that they are washed, justified, and accepted in the Beloved, are those who will be truly holy and who will bear much fruit. They will work cheerfully, suffer patiently, witness confidently, press on unflinchingly, and love warmly. Redemption is ever fresh on their minds, and their thought is, What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefit toward me? Psalm 116, 12. Brothers and sisters, let us cling to Christ more closely. Let us draw nearer to the cross. Let us sit at the feet of Jesus. Let us drink into the spirit of the apostle when he said, To me to live is Christ. Philippians 1.21. Let us do this, and we will grow. Beware of excuses. We will always have reasons in our minds why we cannot be bright and conspicuous Christians right now. It's very possible to admire a high standard of spirituality in others, while we are content with a very low practice ourselves. 
We persuade ourselves there is something peculiar in our particular situation that makes it almost impossible to shine. But let all excuses be received like Babylonian ambassadors, with great suspicion. 2 Kings 20. They are generally the devil's currency. Settle it firmly in your hearts. Almost all of us can glorify God just where we are and without change. All our excuses are as dust in the balance when placed against that promise, My grace is sufficient for thee. 2 Corinthians 12 9. Do not deceive yourselves. By the grace of God, we may be bright saints even now. Don't say we are in bad health. Remember the Apostle Paul. He had a thorn in the flesh, probably some chronic ailment, yet it seemed a spur rather than a hindrance to his soul. Don't say we have many trials. Remember Job. Wave upon wave came rolling over him, yet his faith did not give way, and the record of his patience is on high. Don't say we have families and children to make us anxious and keep us back. Remember David. No one was ever so tested at home as he was, yet he was a man after God's own heart. Don't say we are distracted by pressing business we have to attend to. Remember Daniel. He probably had far more affairs on his hands than any of us, yet he found time to pray three times a day, and he was a proverb for godliness. Don't say, I stand alone, the times are evil, and no one around me serves God. Remember Noah. The whole world was against him, yet he did not give way. By faith he held fast. Don't say, We live in families where God is not thought of. Remember Obadiah in Ahab's house, and Nero's servants at Rome. What are our difficulties compared with theirs? Don't say we are poor and uneducated. Remember Peter and John. They were as poor and uneducated as any of us, yet they were pillars of the early church. They were numbered among those who turned the world upside down. No, believing brothers and sisters, such excuses for not being more holy will never do while grace is available. Let us say instead, we are lazy and cannot be troubled, we are unbelieving and make no bold attempt, we are worldly and our eyes are too dim to see the beauty of holiness, we are proud and cannot humble ourselves to care. If we say this, we are more likely speaking the truth. There are always ways in which we may glorify God. There are passive graces as well as active graces. But the way of the slothful is always a hedge of thorns. The wall of Jerusalem was built quickly when the Jews had a mind to work. Nehemiah 4 6. We complain of the devil, but there is no devil like our own hearts. We don't have grace because we don't ask for it. The fault is all our own. Be on guard against false doctrine. Unsound faith will never be the mother of really sound practice, and in these latter days departures from the faith abound. See then that your loins are girt about with truth, Ephesians 6.14, and be very cautious about receiving anything that cannot be proved by the Bible. Don't think for a moment that false doctrine will come right up to you and say, I am false doctrine, and I want to come into your heart. Satan does not work in that way. He dresses up false doctrine like Jezebel, 2 Kings 9.30. He paints her face, adorns her head, and tries to make her look like truth. Don't think that those who preach error will never preach anything that is true. Error would do little harm if that were the case. Error will come before you mixed with much that is sound and scriptural. The sermon will be all right except for a few sentences. The book will be all good except for a few pages. This is the main danger of religious error in these times. Like the subtle poisons of days gone by, it works so deceitfully that it throws men off their guard. Friends, take care. Remember that even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Keep clear of any system of religion that confounds the world and true believers and makes no broad distinction between those who are true children of God in a congregation and those who are not. 
Don't be carried away by an appearance of great self-denial and humility. It is far easier to fast, wear sackcloth, and put on a sad face than to thoroughly receive the doctrine of justification by faith without the deeds of the law. Don't call any man on the earth, Father. Don't build your faith on any minister or group of ministers. Don't let any man become your pope. Don't make any living Christian your standard of what is right in faith or practice, however high his name, his rank, or his education. Let your creed be the Bible, and nothing but the Bible, and your example be Christ, and nothing short of Him. Be careful that your minds are not corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Be careful what books you read on religious subjects. Many books of this day are leavened with doctrines that spoil the gospel. Check yourselves often to see if you are standing in the old paths. Our lost state by nature, our redemption through our Saviour's kindness and love, our need of regeneration and renewal, our justification through grace. These are the grand doctrines, as Paul told Titus, and these are the points on which we must be sound if we want to maintain good works. Resolve to follow your conscience even in the little things in the daily living out of your Christianity. Don't neglect little duties, and don't allow yourselves little faults. Whatever we may like to think, nothing that affects the soul is really of little importance. All diseases are small at the beginning. Many a deathbed begins with a little cold. Nothing that can grow is large all at once. The greatest sin must have a beginning. Nothing that is great comes to perfection in a day. Characters and habits are all the result of little actions. Little strokes made the ark that saved Noah. Little pins held firm the tabernacle, the glory of Israel. We too are traveling through a wilderness. Let us be like the family of Merari, and be careful not to leave the pins behind. Numbers 4, 32-33 Believers, don't forget how full the epistles are of instruction about the particulars of the Christian life. The apostles seem to take nothing for granted. They don't think it's sufficient to say, Be holy. They take care to specify and name the things in which holiness is shown. See how they dwell on the duties of husbands and wives, masters and servants, parents and children, rulers and subjects, old people and young. See how they single out and urge upon us industry and business, kindness in temper, forgiveness in disposition, and honesty, truthfulness, temperance, meekness, gentleness, humility, charity, patience, and courtesy. See how they exhort us to honor all men, 1 Peter 2.17, to govern our tongues, James 1.26, to season our speech with grace, Colossians 4, 6. To abstain from foolish talking and jesting. Ephesians 5, 4. To not please ourselves only. Romans 15, 1. To redeem the time. Ephesians 5, 16. To be content with such things as we have. Hebrews 13, 5. And whether we eat or drink, to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Some people think that to dwell on such things is bondage, but I believe it's good to remind you of them. I'm sure it is safe. If the Spirit of God thought it wise to dwell so much on them in the Word, I am sure it must be wise for us to attend to them in our walk. It is much easier to profess holiness in a general way than to carry it out in particulars, and I fear that many talk familiarly of sanctification in the whole, but know little of it in the peace. I firmly believe that looseness about these little things in our daily behavior is a special means of grieving the Spirit of God. Consequently, it brings on us barrenness and leanness of soul. Psalm 106.15 More actively try to do good to the world. We may all do far more for unconverted souls than we have done. Many of us take things so calmly that a man might suppose everyone around us was converted, and the kingdom of Christ fully set up. 
I beg you to lay aside these lazy habits. Are all our friends and relatives in Christ? Are all our neighbors and acquaintances inside the ark? Have all within our reach received the truth in love? Have we asked them all to come in? Have we told them all the way of salvation and our own experience that the way is good? Have we done all that we can? Have we tried every means? Is there no one left to whom we can show Christian kindness and offer the gospel? Can we lift up our hands to God as, one by one, souls around us are taken away and say, Our eyes, O Lord, have not seen this blood, and its loss cannot in any way be laid at our door? Certainly, grace ought to be as active a principle in trying to spread godliness as sin is in trying to spread evil. If we had a tenth part of the zeal that Satan shows to enlarge his kingdom, we would be far more caring for other men's souls. Where is our mercy and compassion if we can see diseased souls around us and not desire to make them better? We need to wake up to a correct understanding of our responsibility in this matter. We complain of the world being full of wickedness, and it is, but do we each do our part in trying to make it better? Do we act on the old saying, The city is soon clean when every man sweeps in front of his own door? Try harder to do good to all. Count it a painful thing to go to heaven alone. Let us try as far as we can to take companions with us. No longer be silent witnesses and muffled bells. Warn, implore, invite, rebuke, advise, and testify of Christ on the right hand, and on the left as we have opportunity, saying to people, Come with us and we will do you good. The light is sweet. Come and walk in the light of the Lord. Don't suppose no good is done this way just because our eyes don't see it. We must walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5 7. Let us not be weary in well doing. Galatians 6 9. Because we appear to labor in vain. We may rest assured we are in the hands of a good master. In due season we shall reap if we faint not. Galatians 6 9. Activity in doing good is one recipe for being cheerful Christians. It is like exercise to the body. It keeps the soul healthy. It is one great proof of love toward the Lord Jesus and a proof that can only be given while we are alive. Now is the time for doing good to others, not in the hereafter. In heaven there will be no missionary societies, no Bible societies, no charity organizations, no careless ones to warn, no ignorant to instruct, no sick to minister to, no mourners to comfort, and no tired saints to cheer. In heaven there will be love, joy, peace, and thankfulness, but there will be no place for faith, zeal, courage, labor, or patience. Their jobs will be over. If ever we mean to show these graces, it must be now. Oh, we must hurry, because the time is short. Let us be like Christian in The Pilgrim's Progress. When his burden fell off at the tomb, his first act was to try to awaken sleeping souls. Last, let us work harder to edify other believers. It is astonishing and sad to see how Scripture speaks on this matter and then to observe the conduct of many of Christ's people. Paul tells the Corinthians that the members of Christ should have the same care one for another. 1 Corinthians 12.25 He says to the Thessalonians, Edify one another, even as also ye do. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 He says to the Hebrews, Exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.13 And Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. Hebrews 10.24-25 I fear we fall very short of the New Testament Christians in this respect. Sadly, we are apt to lose sight of edifying one another when we are in the company of believing friends. Prayer, the Word, and godly conversation 
are not put in the most important place, and so when we part we are not better but worse. Far too often there is so much coldness, restraint, reserve, and backwardness that one might imagine we were ashamed of Christ, and that we thought it proper to hold our tongues and not mention the name of the Lord. It should not be like this. We profess that we are all fighting the same fight, contending with the same enemies, plagued with the same evil hearts, trusting in the same Lord, led by the same Spirit, eating the same bread and journeying toward the same home. Then why should we not show it? Why should we not be always ready to commune with each other? Why should we not try to help each other forward, to profit by each other's experience, to bear each other's burdens, to strengthen each other's hands, to awaken each other's hearts, and to speak with each other like Moses and Jethro? Exodus 18 Of the Things Pertaining to Our King There is a fault among us here, one that ought to be put right. Let us bring out the Bible more when we get together. None of us know it all, yet. One person may have found some pearl in it that has escaped our eyes, and we, perhaps, may show something in return. It is the common map by which we all journey. Let us not behave as if we each had a private map to be studied in a corner and to be kept to ourselves. Oh, if only the word were like a burning fire shut up! In our bones, so that we could not keep from speaking of it. Jeremiah 20, 9. We should speak more often about the eternal home toward which we travel. Children, before their holidays, love to talk of home. Their hearts are full, they cannot help it. We ought to be the same way. It makes no sense for the citizens of heaven to say nothing of heaven to those with whom they expect to live forever. Aim for closer communion with all true believers. This will go a long way to procuring Christ's presence with us on our journey. The two disciples who went to Emmaus were talking of holy things when they were joined by the Lord. Speak often to one another, and the Lord will listen and remember it. This will also greatly promote the growth and comfort of our souls. The fire within us needs constant stirring and feeding. To keep it bright. Many can testify that they find communion a special means of grace. Scripture Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Proverbs 27 17. And the weakest may sharpen the strongest, even as the whetstone does the scythe. Those who try to promote holiness in others will reap a blessed reward in their own souls. They water others. And they will be watered themselves. Fellow believers, I have thought it good to name these things in writing to you about sanctification. I desire to do it in all humility. I need reminding of them as much as any of you. Let us resolve to set them before us, and I am sure we will not regret it. And now, beloved, I have done it. I have told you one and all the longings and desires of my heart. Conversion for the unconverted. Decision for the wavering, growth in grace for the believer. This completes the sum of my wishes for you. I can wish you nothing better, because this is the way to true happiness. I will wish you nothing less, for without these things I am sure there is no peace. Carefully consider what I have said. Death may be busy among us very soon, so let us all be found in Christ and prepared. There's no doubt that Satan will be busy among us, so let us all watch and pray. Watch out for a spirit of slumber and formality, especially in private reading and praying. Let our path to the fountain be worn with daily journeys. Let our key to the treasury of grace be bright with constant use. Let us pray more and more earnestly. Those who have never prayed before should begin to pray, and those who have prayed should pray better. Pray for yourselves. Pray that you may know the Lord Jesus and cling to Him, that you may be kept from falling, that you may serve your generation, that you may be sensible in prosperity, patient in trial, and humble at all times. Pray for the congregation to which you belong. Pray that the word of the Lord may have free reign in it and be glorified. Pray that the household of faith may become stronger and stronger, and the household of unbelief weaker 
and weaker. Pray for your country. Pray that her ministers may preach the gospel and be sound in the faith, that her rulers may value the Bible and govern according to it, so that her candlestick may not be taken away. Revelation 2, 5. And pray especially for your minister. Pray that he may be strong to work and willing to labor for your good, that all his sicknesses may be sanctified and all his health given to the Lord, that he may be always taught by the Spirit and thus be able to teach others, that he may be kept faithful until death and so be ready to depart when he is called. Let us all pray for each other, I for you and you for me, and we will be truly blessed.